Welcome to the Design Build Institute of America's first Design Build Delivers podcast. We'll be coming to you once a month with conversations with Design Build pros, owners, and successful teams about the best ways to harness the power of Design Build. We'll talk about industry trends, team building, and a whole lot more. We're really excited to introduce you to our first podcast guest, Brent Darnell. He's a pioneer in bringing emotional intelligence information to the construction industry. Brent's an author, speaker, and his programs span the globe to 20 countries, and they include clients such as Skanska, Balfour Beatty, Beck, Clark, Kewitt, and many more. We are with Brent Darnell from Brent Darnell International, who's going to talk about people skills and emotional intelligence and what that means to the AEC industry. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got into this part of the World. Okay, so I'm a mechanical engineer by education, Georgia Tech graduate, and, and grew up in the construction business. My dad was in construction, so I, I grew up in it and then worked in it for about 20 years. And then I was working for, for Skanska, and they had this leadership program in Sweden, and they were looking for... Oh, a bonus. Uh, oh, no. It, this was the best <laughs> job I've ever had. It was... Uh, uh, so they wanted an American to run it because it was very sweet, like very Swedish. There was a Swedish program director, all Swedish consultants, mostly Swedes attending. And they were going international at that time, buying up a bunch of companies all over the world. So they wanted it to be truly international. They wanted an American to run it. So I threw my hat in that ring and got that job. It was the best job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was a five-week program spread throughout the year in cities like Prague, New York, Hong Kong, oh, Buenos Aires, London, New York. And so I had a Swedish um, vacation package, which is five weeks and 17 paid bank holidays. And then I had an American salary, and the dollar was really strong at the time, like oh late 90s. Gosh. And it was a dream job. I had an apartment in Stockholm. Oh, so why did you ever leave this now? <laughs> now I'm really wondering, holy cow, are you crazy? Well, okay, I did it for the two years, and it was great. And then they said, okay, we're doing something else now. We're kind of dissolving what we're doing. We're going to send people to Zurich to this management thing and go back to Atlanta. And so I went back to Atlanta, and uh, they said, hey, uh, I said, I told the, the CEO, I said, I've learned all this cool stuff about leadership and training, and, you know, I, I'd love to do that here. And he said, we don't need that, but we want you to go back and manage projects. They said, he said, we have this gymnasium at a high school we want you to build uh, in Albany, Georgia. So basically, I transitioned out and quit and started my own business. I, I saw there was a need there. And this was back 2001, 2002. And boy, back then, telling people I do this emotional intelligence and people skills, they looked at me like I had 10 heads. I was like, what? Like, what do we want with that? Well, I don't know what that like, is, yeah. right? Yeah. So back, you know, in 2000, I hate to be like the old guy that says, back in 2000, but, but it's true. It was so foreign to most companies back then that you would focus on that. Um, they wanted people with great technical ability, and, and it was a very adversarial design, bid, build mentality in most sectors of all the construction, and it just wasn't on anybody's radar. So I had to create the demand. So I wrote a book and got that out and, and started talking a lot and doing conferences and uh, just getting this word out. And then I had some companies that were real innovative and they said, okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And they got amazing results. So I used that as to leverage you know, other 
companies and, and it kind of started catching on. Success so, breeds success. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm thinking in those early years too, you, those first, because you're right, and it, you've got to be innovative. Because they think they were hiring you to come in and do like a big group hug. Yeah, and, the, and, the, you know, the misconception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They said, we don't want our guys to be like that. Uh, and the superintendents always said, I'm, you're not going to turn me into a wimp. You know, I'm not going to be that. And I keep ensuring them that that's not what this is about. This is, this is based in neuroscience. I mean, this is how your brain works. You can't escape the emotional part of your brain. No matter, it, and they all think they think logically and and. There is some cognitive stuff going on, but decisions, connections, motivation, all that's in the amygdala, all that's in the, your lizard brain, your primitive brain. Now that approach probably trans allows you to open up the door to then have the fuller conversation. Exactly, so I tell them it's not about group hugs and singing kumbaya and being nice to people. It's about managing your emotions. And that, that's personally as well, because emotional management really is the foundation for stress management. It's knowing when you're stressed, it's knowing when you're tired and thirsty and needing something to eat to, for glucose levels. So that's about self-awareness. So it's about your own personal well-being, and then it's about how you connect with other, other people. Well, because everybody, there's not a person you will meet anywhere that doesn't say they want to be a member of a high-performing team. Right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's who, a no-brainer. Yeah, I don't, we don't need high-performing teams. What is it? We don't <laughs> we're we're happy with mediocrity. It's fine. It's <laughs> yes. really, it's okay. But the problem is, is well, first off, define what that means. Right? What is a high-performing team? Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's a team that I think not only meets the requirements of the project, like schedule, schedule and budget and, you know, all those things that we know, but see, those have become givens. And the owners are accelerating the, the performance of those. Well, we need it six months sooner. Well, right. we need it $2 million lower. I mean, they're constantly crunching that, those requirements. Right, so that bar. requires a higher level of performance just to meet those requirements. But then if you can go beyond that, I mean, imagine a, 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 you know, a project where people, are, they love to come to work and they're healthy and fit and they slept well and their stress levels are low, and they, uh, they, they really enjoy being with each other. I mean, you tell me, I, I, I do this at, you know, when I speak, think about the best project you've ever been on. What were the relationships like? And they're always good. Nobody ever says the relationships, uh, that was the best project, but we hated each other. I, I just, that just never happens, right? So there's a correlation there, and then there's, there's studies that back this up. Penn State's done some studies, LCI, CII, that those team dynamics are leading indicators of successful projects. And they, they um, enhance every metric you can measure, schedule, budget, quality, everything. And when those relationships are good and everybody's firing on all those cylinders and, and helping each other and nurturing each other and looking out for each other and trusting each other, Everything is better. Well, and we talked a little bit too about how not only do you have to define what, what is a high-performing team, but then you just rattled off quickly some of those personal skills, yes. those emotional skills, those soft skills yeah. that tend to just get lost in the day-to-day -day reality of just getting the job done. Exactly. Can you acquire those skills or do you have to have those? No, you can acquire those skills. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that, I mean, that's the cool thing about emotional intelligence is uh, y there's neuroplasticity, which is what neuroscience call that you can change your brain. 
So you can learn skills like empathy or self-awareness or assertiveness, you know. I mean, some people, assertiveness is the issue. It's not they lack empathy. They can't tell people how they feel about things or what they think about things. And that's dangerous in terms of communication. So we create, we, we evaluate everyone and their emotional profile, and then we figure out, okay, what are the, the things that are holding you back in this profile? Do you have these typical patterns we see? Are, are you an alpha? Are you a self-sacrificer and not able to speak up for yourself? Do you have low self-regard and confidence? Does that, is that holding you back from performing well? Do we see burnout in the profile? We can tell if you're, if you're in burnout. We also do a physical profile that's based on physical symptoms. And here's the really interesting part. We can see correlations between the emotional and the physical. I can look at their emotional profile and tell you what the physical profile is going to be and how their body's working. Yeah, so if we see burnout in the emotional profile, we'll see burnout physically as well. We'll see adrenal burnout. We'll see it's called parasympathetic dominance, sympathetic dominance, which means wired and tired. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, who who can't relate to that, right? right? I mean, that's, (laughs) yeah, okay, yeah, I can feel that. So that's so, but again, I would think that would be incredibly helpful in getting the those who might be hard to convert. Yeah. When you can say to them by looking at the, the data. Yeah, there's your profile. Are you feeling this way? Are yeah. you feel- uh, And they, a lot of them, their jaws drop and they're astonished. Um, I, I gave a profile um, like interpretation to this woman yesterday, and she was a typical self-sacrificer. High empathy, low assertiveness, low self-regard, right? And I said, do you, do you sacrifice yourself for others? Do you put other people's needs ahead of your own? And she started tearing up. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and then, I, then this, this really blew her mind. I said, do you crave sugar and carbs? And she went, she was astonished. She wow. said, how did you know that? I said, well, we see it a lot with self-sacrificers. They have glucose problems, so they tend to eat a lot of sugar and carbohydrates, and then they get these giant swings in their blood sugar, which allows, I th- we, we don't exactly know why that's true. We just see that pattern like 90% of the time. So we work on both. For the self-sacrificers, we'll say, work on your nutrition, work on cutting down your sugar and carbs, and work on assertiveness so that you can set li- limits and boundaries with others and take care of yourself first. And this woman was in tears at the end. Like, she probably sort of knew that, but seeing it and having it explained to her. And validated, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure she she feels that, like overwhelm and, you know, I I can't take care of myself because I'm sacrificing myself for my family or friends or, you know, I'm I'm caring for aging parents and it's taking up all my time and energy. Um, But think about a 50-year-old superintendent with those same issues. Now you got the added dimension of this hyper-masculine work environment where he's afraid to ask for help. He's afraid to admit, I'm struggling here. And he just pushes through that pain and that angst and that, all that internal turmoil that's going on inside him. Now, is he, is he productive on a project? Probably not. And you don't even know it. Right. And if you and if that's the way you've always been, yeah. right? Then isn't that's your normal? Yeah. But your normal isn't your high performance. That's no, not you're exactly. not performing where you could. Exactly. And then what if you add to him low self awareness? He doesn't even know what's going on. He just thinks this is a normal way you have to be. So by by pointing these things out, showing them the profile, saying, okay, work on that self awareness, and know that when you need to take a break, when you need to ask for help, your project team is so much better when people are able to do that because then you don't get people that are working 
under a, a handicap, right? And people help each other. And you've got those added stresses of the, the nature of the work. I mean, it, it's very deadline driven. Yes. And if you're coming in diminished and, and whatever, and maybe let's say if you go save it in a 12 person team, half of them are having various issues that are all right. different. Exactly. Well, think about it from just a safety standpoint. If you're checked out emotionally and you're not, you don't have good self-awareness and you're just kind of like in a fog and not your cognitive abilities diminished, your, your judgment is diminished because you're overwhelmed emotionally and you're probably eating crappy food on top of that, which makes it even worse. The nutrition angle I thought is interesting, the nutrition and the physical, because even if, let's say, if you, let's say if you have high emotional intelligence, if you're not taking care of your body, you're still, you're still suffering. Bingo. And I had a 50-year-old superintendent, 50 pounds overweight, and he had a really volatile profile, really high assertiveness, low impulse control. So he was like a volcano. So I said, tell me what you eat. He said, well, I never eat breakfast, and I'll get to the job site. I'll have a couple of donuts or whatever. So I said, okay, here's what's happening. You're eating the donuts and the Red Bulls, and then your, your sugar just jacks way up. Well, an hour later, it's bottoming out. And if somebody comes up to you and, and like rubs you the wrong way, you're going to tear their head off. And it's not about, and, and he told me, I feel out of control. And I told him, your body is craving sugar like an alcoholic craves alcohol. So we did food logs for him for about six months. He sent them to my wife, who does the physical part of these programs. She's a naturopath, chiropractor, knows a lot about nutrition and how your body works. And the, my wife said, I literally cried the first time I got his food log for the week. In the morning, he had um, like oatmeal, wheat toast, 32 ounces of orange juice. Well, that's, he thinks that's a healthy breakfast. It's like 200 grams of carbohydrates. Oh, my god! So gosh. his sugar's just He's through the roof, loading. right? So then for, for snack in the morning, a big bag of M&Ms and 32 ounces of Gatorade. Oh, so this guy was just like a sugarholic. So we, she eventually like weaned him off the sugar. And um, he, he also wasn't losing any weight. He was running 26 miles a week, wasn't wow. losing an ounce because he was also in complete burnout. And if you exercise while you're in burnout, you just put yourself further into burnout. So my wife said, you got to stop exercising. And he said, that doesn't make any sense to me. If I stop exercising, I'm going to gain another 50 pounds. She goes, you have to trust. You have to trust us. So he stopped exercising. He could only do walking or yoga or some kind of low impact. So after about two months, she said, you can start exercising now. You're, you're out of burnout. We keep you know, re- reevaluating. His food was great. He was getting good nutrition. He dropped 50 pounds in about eight weeks. Wow. Um, so his body was working the way it needs to work. And he wasn't volatile anymore. He worked on his impulse control. He worked on his nutrition. And after he left us, after this year-long program, he hired a nutritionist That's to great. help him. And he's maintained this really healthy lifestyle. And, and, and he yeah. has a happier family and a happier I, I would work, <laughs> work team. And I would imagine he would. Did he's, they all buy you Christmas presents that year? <laughs> No, I need to call him about that. It's like, where's, where's my present? Yeah, wait right? a minute. I've, I've, I've made everybody around you happy. And, and there's, there's, I have, I have a hundred stories like that, a hundred of people that have changed their lives and they didn't even know what was wrong. And, you know, they, they will have been told for 10 years, every review, you need to get better with people. I would love to. I just don't know how to do that. Well, this targets specific emotional competencies. You improve them and you change that behavior. And I've never seen it not work. 
It only doesn't work if people don't do the work. Right. If they don't really right. want to change, then it's useless. If they're not even convinced there's anything, there's no there there. Yeah, exactly. So when you think about um, the one thing we haven't talked a lot about is leaders. I mean, we, you, leaders right. are still key. Right. They do tend to be on that, uh, that end of the spectrum that's more of the hard driving type A, right. which, you know, how can this help somebody who might be on that side of the equation? Well, I get a call about once a week about those guys, and it goes like this. I got this guy. He's a great guy, top performer, hard charger, and he's pissing everybody off. They don't want to work with him. Owners don't want him on the project. So can you help him? In fact, I'll tell you this story. This guy, he was in Mexico. He, um, he was removed from a project, 50-plus-year-old superintendent, senior superintendent. He was devastated. And um, I said, how do you think people view you? And he said, um, I don't think they like me. I said, why do you think that is? And he said, I don't know. I have no idea. He said, they, don't they know <clears throat> that I care about them so much and I care about the project so much, that's why I drive them so hard because I want them to be the best. I want this project to be the best. And, and I said, you know, I don't think they get that <laughs> no, because of the way not. you're doing it. So what if I could give you some tools to do that a different way, work on your emotional competence, and and with a lot less wear and tear on you and better results, and people will want to work with you. And he said, I, I'm, I'll do anything because I am, this has just sunk me. I, I'm just, I don't feel good about myself. Particularly at that point in your career, right? Oh, you yeah. think you're there. You've you've, kinda, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and he's got all the tools. I said, this is just a different set of tools. That's all. And I, I recommend a book all the time. It's got, called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. So what got you here is all those technical skills and the ability to execute. And then what, what the second part of your career is all about people and connecting with people and managing people and motivating people. And it's a different set of skills. And nobody ever teaches you that. You don't learn it in school. I mean, maybe if you get a great mentor that you come right. up under that's good at that, you pick that up. But there's no deliberate, you know, effort. To, to impart those skills. So anyway, we did a few coaching sessions. He did my online courses. That's all we had. He's in Mexico, right? I've never even met this guy face to face. So in six months, they put him on a project with, with a key client, AT&T, difficult client, wow. right? And he developed such wonderful relationships with the client and the rep uh, that there was a construction manager on site that was really like crazy. And he would stage like uh, punchless stuff. He would mess stuff up and take pictures oh, and no. send it to the oh, owner. Oh, no. And guess what? The owner didn't believe the construction manager and believed my guy and, in fact, fired the construction manager. They did a phase two and, and just did it with the contractor and not, not have a construction manager. Nice. Because he developed such close relationships with the client for, you know, use the skills that he, that he learned from the courses and from the coaching. All right, so fast forward another four or five months, they pr um, promoted him to the um, operations manager for all of Mexico. Goodness. So and not a single group hug. No, not no, one not group one hug at all. No. no. He just worked on his emotional stuff, uh, and, the, and now he's in charge of everything in Mexico. He's the operations manager, and he is now helping other people create these high-performing teams and saying, you've got to pay attention to the people into this. 
Well, you have to figure on any given team, on any given day, on any given project, how many people in your team are going through whatever. Something, yes, right? and you never know and until you, you know. know, until you ask or, or find out about people. And when you say, how are you doing? You look like you're having a bad day. And they trust you enough to say, you know, um, my wife ran off with our kids and I don't even know where she is and I'm devastated. I, I can't, I'm having trouble focusing. And now you know what that problem is and you can say, go take care of that. We got it here. But, they, but men will not say that. They won't ask for help. And some managers say, I don't care. Like, get to work. Like, that's a personal issue. Yeah, we've all got stories. Yeah. You've all, I mean, we've all been through that situation where you're yeah. pretty much stuck and you yeah. just have to figure out how you're going to get through that. So what's the number one takeaway? If someone feels like, I, I, I absolutely get this, I'm feeling this, I'm living this, or, or maybe we have a team that's really close but not quite. Yeah. What's, what do they do? What's that, what's that, what, if you were to give them that first piece of advice, what do they do? Well, it's, it's just start with people. And you, there's a number of ways to do that. I mean, we do real in-depth evaluations and analysis and plan creation. You don't have to go that far. Just uh, either internally, externally, get somebody in there that can get people um, breaking down some barriers, uh, getting, telling some stuff that creates trust, which is self-disclosure. You know, tell some stuff about yourself personally. Uh, tell stories. Um, I, I've got this great exercise. This is a fantastic exercise that this is just a freebie. It's called the four quadrants. So at the top, you put your name, your favorite piece of music, which always has an emotional context to it, right? Maybe a favorite quote, a biblical quote, or something that inspires you. And then you do have four quadrants. You have family, whatever definition that is for you. Personal, not family, not work. Work, what is that defined as? And then a future vision, for yourself. And then at the bottom, it's um, challenges, personal, professional challenges. So they fill those out with, with words or pictures or whatever, and then everybody goes around and, and goes through their four quadrants. And then you can open it up to questions like, tell us more about that future vision of travel. Where do you want to go? What's your favorite city? So they all learn about each other and their, their and family ties people together. The personal is usually pretty sparse, so yeah. they, they get it that Maybe there needs to be some more, some more stuff in there, right? And the challenges are all the same. Work-life balance, stress, um, time, um, aging parents, the, the sandwich generation where you've got kids still, but you've got aging parents that you have to take care right. of as well. Those are big ch health challenges. My wife has cancer. I've had people during this four quadrant break down. And people come up and, and like pat them on the shoulder and say, man, it's okay. We're here. You know, it, and so it creates this really closeness. And when you divulge stuff like that, such personal things, you create a lot of trust. And you break down those barriers that are going to pre prevent you from really communicating with each other in a clear way. And when you create those connections, you're creating a powerful team. And I'd get as many people on that as possible. And if you've got 100 people, break it into smaller groups that are like, cross-functional kind of groups, get some owners in there, get some architects and designers in there, get some trade partners in there, and so that they're learning about each other and connecting with each other. That is terrific, because that is something anybody can do to just yeah, break that barrier very, down and get it going. very simple exercise. Get that, get that communication collaboration yeah. going. Brent, thank you very much. This is awesome. Thanks, Kim. To learn more about maximizing your team's people skills and building emotional intelligence, please check out Brent's website at brentdarnell.com. 
DBIA will also present a new five-part leadership webinar series in 2018. So stay tuned for details on how you can take advantage of all of DBIA's new online education opportunities. Join us next month on Design Build Delivers when we talk about the power of progressive. <laughs>